This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and a very warm welcome to the Total Saints podcast. I'm Martin Stark and each week I'm joined by our wonderful panel to discuss the past seven days supporting Southampton Football Club. As every week now, we're streaming this episode of TSP Live on our Facebook and Twitter pages and you'll also find it on our YouTube channel. And if you're watching live on Facebook or YouTube, you've got the chance to get involved in the conversation using the comments section this evening. Coming up this week on the podcast, reaction to Saints throwing away another lead, uh, this time at home to Manchester City. We've got plenty to discuss there. And we'll preview the FA Cup fourth round tie against Coventry at St Mary's, which is a week on Saturday. First of all, let me introduce you to our regular TSP guests waiting patiently on your screen. Grant is the owner of Saints Web. That's the independent Southampton FC website. How's your week been, Steve? Yeah, pretty busy. Um, lots lots of work going on. So that's uh, that's been good. Uh, kept me occupied. It's going to be like world's smallest violin uh, time, but the weather's, we actually been, weather's actually been a bit ropey over here. So um, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's been... Yeah, it's been a couple of couple of sort of proper sort of windy nights, sort of gale force winds and all all this sort of stuff, and it's been only about nineteen degrees, so uh, not not uh, not not quite what I signed up for, really. BBC Two, I think, at the moment are doing a documentary about Dubai and and all the rich and famous. I keep expecting you to pop up one week, but you've not <laughs> been on there yet, so maybe that's next week. Uh, no, I've. I mean, one one thing you find over here is that it's very easy to avoid those sort of people. I mean, I've I've seen little clips from it, and it's and it is basically a collection of the world's most awful types of people, isn't it? <laughs> um, and yeah, there are a lot of those sort of people here, but it's it it is quite easy. I mean, Dubai's a big place. It's it's easy enough to avoid those idiots. Let's meet the other faces and voices. Glenda the Court is the writer of League One minus ten. That's a weekly Saints blog. How's your week been, Glenn? Do you know I I know this question's coming every week, and and every week <laughs> I try and think of something interesting to say, but there's absolutely nothing exciting going on this week. All I can say about this week is that I'm still here. I survived it. That was it. I'm sure we've got our selection of. Dubai type idiots and hedge end, but I've, I've not I've not met them. No, no, nothing to say. What's a, oh my son's football team won this morning, so that was good. Hooray, good yeah, for that was good. But yeah, that's that's just about it as far as highlights, apart from uh, going to St Mary's yesterday. 
Good. And Dan Sheldon is the Athletics dedicated Saints reporter. Much going on in your world this week, Dan? All good? I very much am that Dubai type idiot and Whiteley. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I, I turned another year older. Oh, congratulations. Yeah, I thought I'd drop that in there. But no, it's been a fairly uh, busy week and ended with a, with a good game on Saturday, which I'm sure we'll get into. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, as always, the biggest hello and thank you is reserved to our patrons, wherever you might be listening or watching this week. Welcome to episode 184 of the Total Saints podcast. This is the Total Saints podcast with Martin Stark, Steve Grant, Glenn Delacour and the Athletics' Dan Sheldon. So Manchester City yesterday, Dan, I'm going to start with you on this one because it sounded like you really enjoyed the game. Yeah, I did. I um, Yeah, just re- I mean, I I don't know. I, I don't want to say I've got a soft spot for City, but I... I I do just really like Pep Guardiola and the, the football his teams play. They're just so good to watch. And I was looking forward to that game all, all kind of week. And I think I loved it more because of how good Southampton were. I think, you know, you kind of expect that game to not... I mean, I, naively, I didn't think it would be a contest. I thought Man City would turn up. You know, the run they've been on, they've been excellent. Southampton wouldn't roll over, but, you know, they'd get beaten maybe 3-0, 4-0 or something. And everyone moves on to the, the international break. For me, Southampton played them off the park for a good 55, 60 minutes. And then, as Ralph said, after the game, Man City found another gear. And, you know, when, you, when you're backed by a state, you can, you know, find 10 gears and Southampton can probably only find five. So to get a draw, I think after, especially after Man City equalised, I think Southampton knew they were going to be under kind of enormous amounts of pressure from that point onwards. But I'm sure someone's going to mention Salah so I'll let everyone else kind of fallen over him but he was obviously superb and I think what what impressed me was Ralph to be honest you know we criticized Ralph a lot in the past for you know a bit of not being too flexible with his tactics getting his subs wrong but I thought he was bold brave you know he took risks against Man City in that first half you know he left Armando and Shea up top trying to get City on the counter and it worked so I think he should take a huge a huge amount of credit and he's he seems to have got certainly this season you know to play 180 minutes against a team that have scored 54 55 goals in the league this season to only concede once against them and you know not lose either game I, I think all credit goes to him and, and the tactics he had on the day a ton of positives yesterday Glenn what really stood out for you the effort the effort and the concentration we, you know without those it doesn't matter what the manager does what formation he puts out on the pitch I mean, though I totally agree with Dan with what he says, what he says about Ralph. But you know, the players are the are the ones on the pitch, and and they've got to do it in the face of what you know. It's, it's eleven fifty million pound footballers or or whatever. You know, they they're just they're just phenomenal. And and the reason City win the league and the likes of Manchester United don't is their work off the ball. The amount of their 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 pressing is just scary at times. What impressed me most is that we we kept trying to play the right way. It was a bit hairy at times when you saw Salisu and Bednarek and Forster knocking the ball around, and you've got City players swarming all over them. Against most teams, we're good enough to you know to play through them without too many heart attacks. And it, it would have been very easy to revert to just banging the ball forward and you know up to Brozier and Adams and 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 hoping for the best. But you know we kept trying to play. We stuck to the game plan. I think our bravery on the ball was highlighted on on match of the day, and they were mm. they were you know they 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 praised us for that. Going back to Ralph, I, I think he got his substitutions absolutely spot on. I mean, I think um, both Bednarek and Armstrong were substituted because they were both on yellow cards because we've been caught out recently where you know you're playing against the team who aren't who've got a few players who aren't shy of going to ground and 
you know, we managed to keep 11 on the pitch. Some have said somewhat fortunately. <laughs> but, uh, but we, you know, we, we've done that and, and, and everything, he, everything Ralph tried and, and, every, and everything he did, I, I thought was absolutely spot on. But the, uh, the players take, take the majority of the credit. Because um, you know, and the, and the only thing that is a shame is is the fa- if City had scored a brilliant goal, mm. happy days. <laughs> but they've scored from a really tame, you know, set piece cross yeah. header. Unmarked. Three players unmarked to the back post. Yeah, yeah, the 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 blocking. You know, obviously someone was supposed to block him, and it didn't it didn't work out. But uh, it would be um, it would be somewhat churlish to find any any fault in in getting a result against against a team like that because the last 12 teams that have tried haven't so yeah and to, yeah to do it twice in one season they might win the championship but they haven't beaten us so they're not real champions there that's not go. bad i can see a t-shirt coming out of that uh, a performance <laughs> to be proud of yesterday steve what, what were your thoughts on the game yeah i enjoyed it and i think it was it was one of those games where you've got a sort of mid-table side up against a side like City and it's quite often happens against Liverpool as well and so many of those games are just damp squibs because the the big side gets a grip of the game early on and and kind of just never lets go and it's kind of a foregone conclusion from from very early on whereas I think while City I think like the first minute or two basically uh, I think there was there was a stat before the goal before the possession that we had for the goal I think we'd had four percent possession so I think that's what the commentator that, that I had um, was saying. And and yet they didn't have a, I don't think they created any chances really until about 20 minutes in. So we we held firm in, in the face of that sort of early, early sort of onslaught, if you like, kept them to areas where we were comfortable with them. And the, I mean, this is what we did, it, what we've done against them a few times in the past, that game where we won 1-0 during Project Restart. Hmm. Prime example where, I mean, they had all the ball, but we forced them to have the possession in areas where we were comfortable with them having it. Um, so they had the ball out wide a lot. But if they're, if if we're, we're asking Man City to put crosses into the into the, the middle of the box, I think we're fairly comf- comfortable that Bednarek and Salisu are, gonna, are probably going to get on the end of most of them. I mean, it changed a little bit sort of later in the second half when they brought Gabriel Jesus on, who's a little bit better in the air. But he seemed to want to um, keep going wide and... and not really getting into the areas where where he was going to hurt us, apart from that one that one header he had um, fairly late on against the post. Yeah, I mean for all, for all that they had all, all these, um, I mean they had more chances than I think they've created in a lot of games against us. But I mean we we kind of stood firm and got a little bit of luck with a with a couple of them, a couple of couple of our decisions that that fell our our side of the uh, the sort of fifty fifty coin toss, if you like. I mean I, I thought Armstrong was very lucky with with his one I thought that was a I thought that was a red card and I thought that in real time I thought god we're in trouble here but yeah for for whatever reason they deemed it not not bad enough but no I think I think we we looked on the rare occasions we got the ball especially first half we looked we looked confident we looked like we had a plan and we and we looked like we knew how we were going to hurt City and we I mean that goal was the goal was a prime example of that in that we broke quickly on them and we then got the ball into areas beyond players that were trying to attack too much. And this is basically the same way you attack Liverpool. You attack them behind the fullbacks. And that was exactly what we did with Redmond over, overlapping uh, Walker-Peters coming in on, on the inside. And I mean, that finish was just extraordinary from sort of in, in that situation, given that the kids not scored a Premier League goal before. To get one like that is um, is 
is pretty extraordinary, I thought. It was, yeah. Dan mentioned Ralph and the tactics. Um, obviously, three changes to the starting lineup from that defeat at Wolves. Were you surprised to see him revert to the back four? Were you expecting a three or a five there, as he's done against some of the bigger teams before? No, because I think that formation, he's figured out a way to, to stop City. And that formation worked at the Etihad. I didn't think for a minute that he would try and do a back three or play a 3-4-3 three, three or anything like that. It would have been... It just wouldn't have made sense, I don't think. You know, they, they had a blueprint at the Etihad. So why why veer away from that too much, in my opinion? And it worked well. Carl Walker-Peters coming back in, Glenn, which was awesome. But also, I think you were highlighting about Che Adams back and that partnership with, with Brozier. It kind of started from the front, really, didn't it? Yeah, well, those, those two haven't played as a pair very often. I think they might have only started maybe two games before. And sometimes, sometimes they were going in the air for the same ball, but... You know, bearing in mind it was it was scraps at times in the, in that game. I think they can be forgiven for that, and they haven't played together much, as I said. I I think it's got the makings of a very promising partnership once it's bedded in a little bit more, and it will be very useful against teams who want to sit deep as well. Now, and obviously yesterday's a, a different assignment altogether, but against a lot of teams, especially at home, we're going to come up against defenses that that sit deep, and with with the two of them both having a physical presence, we'll have the option to to hit hit one of them over the top rather than you know rather than having to try and play through two lines of four or whatever so I think as a strike partnership it, it looks it's in its infancy but it but it looks good I, I mean I thought I mean Salisu is the one who's going to get all the headlines obviously mm. but I thought Shay Adams was absolutely superb yesterday with the the amount of work he did and he, he was obviously detailed to drop back in if if anyone got pulled out of position I think he popped up on the left wing at one side uh, one time when uh, I think it was Elianusi got, you know, he, he ended up on the ground sort of like too far forward. Adams turned up on the left. He also turned up in the centre of midfield when Prousey was out of the game as well. So I think um, though he he probably didn't do as much sort of like headline stuff as certainly someone like Salisu. I think, you know, I, I, just having Che Adams back fully fit, I thought was a massive bonus for us yesterday. Let's talk about Salazu, shall we, Steve? Do you want to go first and uh, and just discuss that performance yesterday because it was immense? Yeah, why not? That was um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, he was he was ridiculous, um, just an absolute colossus at the back there, and and you can you can now. I mean, basically his performances this season, you can now see exactly why, combination of why we paid the money that we did and also why we paid the money and then basically didn't pick him for a year. Because what he has learned in, what he seems to have learned in that year, sat on the sideline kind of watching, sort of taking a watching brief, is just the, just sort of game intelligence. His positioning was almost faultless. The num- like number of interceptions, any time the ball went sort of within a sort of, five yard radius he was he was already well set to um to win the ball either as a as a sort of interception or anything in the air or anything like that um his distribution was was very good again um a lot of a lot of the time where he's playing playing the ball through the through the lines when when city are pressing and you, you give you you kind of play fine margins in in that sort of situation particularly against city where and as as we said said earlier where city are obviously a lot better at pressing than most teams in this league and they they give you much less time so in order to play those passes through the lines you've got to be so precise and i mean i i can't i can't think off the top of my head any any occasions where um where he gave the ball away in that situation so he was he was really important for us in not just in terms of winning the ball back but also retaining it because there was a, there was a lot of times in that second half where you thought 
well, someone's just got to lump it up the field and just give us a give us a sort of thirty second breathing space. But actually, the best way to do that is to keep retain possession, and even if you only get sort of four or five passes, you at least get yourself twenty thirty, maybe get twenty thirty yards up the pitch, and then you can turn around and pass it back to the back to the defence and then back to the goalkeeper, and you've actually then taken a minute out of the game. So we've we've learned to be a lot more a lot more intelligent defensively when we're kind of up against it a little bit and we're trying to sort of batten down the hatches a little bit but we're not basically just camping ourselves on um on the edge of the area and saying right what have you got um it's it's not as not as sort of basic as that there's a there's definitely a lot of planning that's gone in gone into that and it's 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 a very positive change from what what we saw even earlier this season really um Mm. but certainly certainly in comparison to to previous years Barney, who's watching on YouTube, says, I loved how much Peru got under Sterling's skin yesterday, so much so that he mm. was subbed. Some people say that Sterling had a bad game, but I just don't think that he allowed it. Is, it that's a pretty fair assessment, Glenn. Perot is, he's got faults. Sometimes he, he doesn't, for me, he doesn't stop as many crosses into the box as he should do. Sometimes he's a little bit too far away. But when he gets touch tight to the uh, to the winger he's he's like a rash i mean i read somewhere that he used to play rugby and if that's true you can kind of see it he's um he's all arms and legs and he he's very aggressive when he gets in gets himself in the right position and uh, yeah he didn't give he didn't give sterling anything and i i thought he well he made one mistake didn't he and that was the one that led to the sitter that Sterling missed, and Fraser where, Forster was there, so. and and that was a that was a great save yeah. by Fraser, and and let's not gloss over it. It's a horrendous miss by Sterling, <laughs> but uh, but no, I thought I thought Perot did well, and I thought he did well. Gabriel Jesus, as Steve said, is is a different player, and I thought he did well against him as well. And uh, yeah, I mean the guy's been in and out of the team, so it's uh, you know it's been a little bit been a little bit of a tough uh, tough time for him since he's got here. He's still learning, still learning the game over here, and. Um, yeah, he had a he had a very good game yesterday. But uh, yeah, it was nice. It's it must be nice when you're a fullback to see uh, to see your winger get substituted, having uh, not done a great deal. So uh, fair play to him. Just final word on uh, Salah Zidane. You've probably seen him more than any of us over the last uh, well, every last few games or so. Was that one of his best performances yesterday? It, it was certainly seemed to me to be a performance above his years. We forget that he's actually he's quite young. It's actually frightening when you. <laughs> A couple, 22, people, 22, 22, yeah. Yeah. a couple of people today, you know, I've had been speaking to a few people about it and you get it and he's only 22. Like that it's, people seem to forget how young he is. But for me, that was the, his best performance by far in a, in a Southampton shirt, I think. And you don't want to kind of look back, but if you cast your mind back to how, you know, Southampton's former central defender got on this week and compare it to the new one they, they've got, it it was like chalk and cheese, wasn't it? Vestergaard struggled at Leicester and Salah yeah. excelled against Man City. So yeah, I think the club are very happy with themselves and, and the player they've got. Yeah. Uh, Matthew got in touch with us uh, via Twitter yesterday. So just want to say for this week's pod, huge shout out to Redmond actually for his first half performance. Great assist for the goal and his defensive performance was as good as I've seen from him. The team did suffer when he came off, particularly missing him when we had opportunities to break. Salazu and KWP will deservedly get the plaudits. I don't want Redmond's contribution to go unnoted. Steve, good game from Redmond yesterday. Glenn was itching for that one. Glenn, Glenn. <laughs> <laughs> Which is why I asked Steve. <laughs> um, okay, I, th- I think for first first twenty five minutes, yes. I think the the last fifteen twenty minutes of the first half were basically when when City were creating something vaguely tangible. Redmond wasn't. I don't think Redmond was quite giving enough um, protection to 
uh, to Perro. Perro dealt dealt quite well with um, with what he had, but I think yeah, we the, the fullbacks weren't weren't quite given enough um, support in the in the towards the end of that first half. And the problem, part of the problem, as I, as I said just now, is that in these sort of games, when you get the ball, you've got to keep it for a while just to give yourself a bit of a bit of a rest. And there are a couple of couple of times where we had the opportunity of a counter attack. Um, the ball would come to Redmond, and he'd he'd either lose the ball or I mean, I've, I've got no particular particular problem with him turning back and us keeping possession. But there are occasions where you just thought the better option is to is to go forward in into a certain space, and the options that were that were taken were probably not probably not quite right. But ultimately, actually, to be fair, he probably still did better than El Yunusi, who, having come on at half time, I mean, I don't think I really remember him doing anything until about ten minutes from the end, uh, where um, he. I think he tried to take on Carl Walker and lost the ball, and we ended up end up being sort of outnumbered on on that far side. So yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, you're not all going to have a perfect game. Um, and Reb has Reb, Reb, been more more than good enough over the last sort of month, um, six week, six to eight weeks or so that players are allowed players are allowed an off night. I think we've always been fair, Glenn, in our assessment of Nathan Redmond. And we've always put our hands up and said, actually, yeah, you know, he's played well, he's had a good game. But we've been quite quick to point out when he hasn't. Can you see why he was taken off yesterday? Uh, yeah, I can. Um, I, I agree with what Steve said. I, I think Elinusi, when he came on, was more, it was track the runners. You know, don't let Carl Walker go. Make sure that you're helping out Perot and uh, Elinusi didn't do much on the ball. He didn't do as much on the ball as Redmond did. At the end of the day, Redmond got the assist for the goal, didn't he? Mm. But um, I think Elinusi did more work with on the tracking back side of things. And on, you know, we were talking earlier on about the chance that that Sterling had. Ralph was very, very animated. I think he was shouting at Redmond at that point because he kind of tracked back to the edge of the box and then stopped. You know, so I, I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm guessing, but. When when he was when he was subbed at half time, in my head I thought mm, that I reckon that was down to to that incident, just that he wasn't he wasn't um, you know sort of tracking the runners, which which goes back to what I was saying at the start about you know the concentration. You you've got to have such a high level of concentration. Maybe Ralph just didn't feel like that that he was doing it, but but I thought Redmond started the game very well. Um, and for me, there's been a definite. If I was if I was marking him out of ten. In every game this season, he's always had a better performance when he's played on the right hand side. Always seems to play better out there when he when he switches to the left. There's there's a bit too much sideways and backwards comes into play, and I don't like him playing up the middle because he he just physicality he just seems to struggle with um, with it and and loses the ball that way. But uh, but as Steve said, he's had some good games this season. I didn't think yesterday was necessarily one of them, and it's it's a squad game and. You know, and Ralph decided to to roll the dice, and the end justifies the means. At the end of the day, we we got the point that we'd have been happy with at the start. And just on the VAR decisions, Dan, do you think we rode our luck a bit there, or or, or was it um, was it fair game? Uh, I thought the the penalty shot would have been. I don't I, I don't know. For me, it wasn't. It didn't look like a penalty in real time. And I saw the the replay and again. I didn't think it was a a penalty. The the Armstrong one. I think that just comes down to perception. I didn't think it was. I didn't think that was a red card. The replay, I saw it. He was obviously late and, and his boot was high, but I thought it'd been incredibly harsh if that was given as a red. And you, you say decisions even themselves out there, and they, I'm sure, you know, Southampton fans were furious at Wolves when that penalty got overturned. And you could say, well, maybe they got their luck this week and Armstrong stayed on the pitch. So, yeah, I, I, I 
I don't like to linger too much on VAR. At the end of the day, Southampton got, you know, a, a deserved point. So I think it's better to focus on that than, mm. you know, decisions that could have gone either way. I'd like to say something about the referee, actually, because it was Simon Hooper again, and we've had three or four times in the last... We seem to have had him quite a few times in the last sort of couple of months. He he's come a, he's come, to me anyway. He seems to have been very very good in that when we when we've played the bigger teams, he's the kind of referee that you want. You obviously don't want Kevin Friend. I think if we'd have had Kevin Friend, we'd have probably lost yesterday because he would have sent off Stuart Armstrong and then we'd have been playing <laughs> with friends, friends. Friends performance in that Palace Liverpool game today was just extraordinary. Oh, was it him again? Was it? Oh, oh yes. Right. Yeah. I didn't realise that. I didn't realise that. So yeah, there was another game today where, where Kevin Friend was horrendous. So if we'd have had him or John Moss, we'd have been struggling uh, yesterday simply because of their, they seem to have this um, dispensation to give every dubious decision to the, to the big clubs. But, um, but, Simon Hooper, I'd like to say, was uh, was excellent yesterday. And I think that uh, that certainly helped our cause having him. Just a word on Man City, Stephen, a few of the things afterwards. Was it Laporte, I think, saying that the pitch is small for us, which makes it a little bit more difficult? Was that? I'm trying to think, was that taken out of context? Did he mean it, it, the atmosphere or something? Was it lost in translation? Because the pitches are the same size, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, basically, there are, I think... Um, so there's, pre- there's Premier League guidelines and the pitch has to be an exact dimension. Um, I think it's 105 by 68, maybe something like that. Um, but what, whatever it is. But our, so our actual pitch is the so the the paint, the painted area. So not not allowing for all the sort of perimeter stuff. The painted area is exactly the same size as it is at the Etihad um, <laughs> to the inch. And the Premier League say that that's the rules. Um, every pitch has to be the same size. You get special dispensation if your ground is old and so Man United, Everton, Liverpool and Chelsea have dispensation. Their pitches are slightly different sizes, but generally on the slightly smaller side by like two or three metres. It's like, well, is that really making a difference? So, yeah, I mean, his, his argument is absolute nonsense, obviously. Uh, the other he'd thing, loved, Glenn, after he'd, have loved, he'd have loved it at the Dell, wouldn't he? That's fine, and about six inches, and then the crowd. Yeah, someone put in his shorts down when he's taking the throw in. The other thing, Glenn, was Jack Grealish waiting in the tunnel for Romeo after uh, was it half time or after the game? It must have been absolutely ter- terrifying for Romeo. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you're if you're going to come across as a hard man and you're going to you know you're going to start start something with probably one of the hardest blokes in. <laughs> Premier League football, you don't do it with an Alice band on your head, do you? I mean, it's just... And his sliders on, I expect. I mean, I, I think it's been taken out of context. They, what what happened was there was the, the tackle that Bednarek got booked for where Grealish basically did a somersault. Um, that was when Romeo had a, had a word with him. And uh, yeah, I think uh, obviously Grealish wanted to have a have a word about that afterwards. I don't I don't think he was waiting for a dust up, put it that way. But um, that's how kind of how it's been spun. But it is it is very amusing to imagine Jack Grealish with his hair and his headband, <laughs> uh, you know, and uh, and his calf muscles trying to have a fight with Romeo. That that is just no, no, that's that's not going to happen. So, and Dan, uh, you were chatting to the managers after the, the game. Pep was full of praise for Saints, wasn't he? Which was almost a bit eerie about how, how he was waxing lyrical about James Ward-Prowse and, and the manager and, and what a great team we were and how well he thought City had played. Yeah, you know, he was. Spoke really, really highly of Southampton. I think he he said it was their best performance of the season, which was I, I find it a little bit odd. I mean, it clearly wasn't their best performance of the season because they didn't win against the mid-table team. And I even I even find that the kind of Kevin De Bruyne stuff a bit odd as well. I mean, if I was De Bruyne, I'd, I'd want him to be saying I'm the best in the world, not... Mm. I mean, I don't know. Bearing in mind Man City scored from a, a free kick as well, you just think... I mean, obviously the set piece, you think 
I don't know if I was Pep, I'd be saying Kevin, you know, number one, no one comes close type thing. But he, I don't know. I mean, if Southampton had lost, uh, if, if Man City had lost that game, I'm sure he wouldn't have been saying all those nice things about them. I'm sure he was saying, you know, horrible team, can't play against them. Or, you know, he would have found something to complain about, I'm sure. But he's a bit odd. Some of the top managers are like that, aren't they? They're a bit strange sometimes with their, their comments post-match after their team haven't won or they managed to draw or something. So I think he was just trying to, I don't, I don't, I don't even know what he was trying to do, to be honest. It was just a bit strange. But there was a love in between him and Ralph. So, you know, that's a budding bromance then. Then I'm all for that. They were chatting for a while, weren't they, after the game? And, and Glenn, the, the Man City fans seemed to be a bit riled afterwards too. They weren't overly happy, were they? I, were, there, were there many Man City fans there? I didn't really notice. <laughs> they were on the pitch at the end. So no, <laughs> I don't know if you were there for that or not. No, I wasn't. No, did you not no, see I, that? Did you? No. Did anyone, oh, no, oh yeah. I, I heard it, half a dozen, wasn't you, it? On you the didn't leave before the full-time whistle, did you, Glenn? <laughs> Absolutely not. I... I, I <laughs> I wait until the last Saints player is off the pitch and then I leave. That's it. Um, there were a good se- several. You must have seen like. Oh, there was a couple. There was a couple of pitch invaders. That yeah, there, there was one like Saints yeah, players, yeah. but then the Man City fans. There must have been three, four, five, easy running onto the pitch. It was carnage. Like that's absolute maze. It's really, it's really worth getting banned for, isn't it? I mean, you know, because that's that's what happens, isn't it? As soon as you as soon as you enter the pitch, you're but you're banned for a season. Is that right? I think they just wanted to check the dimensions. So. Yeah, <laughs> possibly. I don't know if you saw the groundsman today tweeting that he picked up £5.50 yesterday that he found on the pitch. Some coins that um, that obviously either thrown on or, or dropped or whatever. So, um, but if, you, if you're going to throw a, a coin, why would you throw a pound coin? <laughs> why, why, why wouldn't you throw like a, a 10p or a 2p or something? Obviously, something we don't condone any of that. That would be a good job at Chelsea, well, wouldn't yeah. it? Imagine what they throw at Chelsea. £10 notes, £20 notes. Picking up the notes. Yeah. Up the notes. Final one on Man City from yesterday. Steve, just a great run continues and we all thought it was going to come to an end yesterday um i'm beating in our last eight i think uh which we've not done since about 2016 so it, it's it's a, a, a lot of positive momentum to take forward uh yeah i mean obviously to clarify that's eight at home not yes yeah. yeah but yeah i mean given given our home home form has been kind of the big bugbear isn't it over the last well by, pretty much since um kind of like since puel left really um because we were, we were all right at home for probably two-thirds of that season um, and then it kind of all petered out and gone to got the pot since. So yeah, getting getting home strength back and finding a way to um, to get results in all kinds of games really. I mean, a lot of games where a lot of games where we've kind of been expected to win and we've we've been in the ascendancy and kind of thrown points away. But th- I don't think this is one of those. This is one of those games where, while not necessarily a complete free hit, I think realistically we were we were hoping for the best but expecting um something um significantly less so yeah i mean knowing that knowing that you can that you've got a plan that can work against potentially every um every team you come up against when you can do it against the best why not be able to do it against the worst hmm. um so yeah i mean that's that's positive we just just now got to got to do that away from home as well um yeah. and obviously those um those next two league games are, are going to be um fairly tough but not un, not insurmountable, I wouldn't have said on their on those two teams' current current showings at least. You're certainly looking for um, a couple of points out of those next two games, aren't you, Glenn? I, I certainly don't see why not. I mean, Spurs away, we don't tend to do particularly well, but I mean, obviously, last year against Man United, wasn't terribly clever. But um, but the, you know, I look I look at I look at both those teams, and and whilst their results have not been that bad, their performances have not been great and I think you know we we could certainly I, I fancy it's more to get something at Man United than I do at Tottenham mm. 
funnily yeah. enough. Um, you know, Man United have obviously got the great individual players who can who can all do something given the right set of circumstances. And they managed to, you know, spawn another win in the 93rd minute yesterday, didn't they? And that's that's the sort of thing they do. And I, But to me, I don't see them being much better in terms of organisation under the new manager than they were under under Ollie. So, you know, they've, they've changed the fullbacks, but, but, you know, they're still a bit hit and miss. They've, their central midfield isn't great. So I, I see that as, as, as certainly the, the better game out of the two to, tr- to try and get something from. But at the end of the day, if we don't, it's not going to define our season. Before we get on to the FA Cup, Matt's watching on Facebook. He says, just wondering whether you've predicted our finishing league position yet. Do you think we'll be able to get into the top 10? Dan, is top 10 possible or not at the moment, given the, the start that we've had? Is there too much of a, a gap to make up there? Yeah, I don't think they're, they're finishing the top 10 this season, to keep okay. it short. <laughs> that's fine next season obviously next season FA Cup next Coventry which is on the, the 5th of February we've got this weird international break and then we're back for the uh, the fourth round of uh, the FA Cup Steve do we know anything about Coventry 10th in the championship won one of their last five games Is they, they started the season really well and they were they were one of one of those teams that were just getting loads and loads of really late winners um, in home games I think they won like the first 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 four or five at home. But since then, they've they've tailed off quite a lot. Um, lost home to QPR yesterday, I think, which, mm. given QPR's position, isn't isn't anything particularly disgraceful. But they're, yeah, they've they've hit a bit of a rocky patch, a few injuries, I think. So they're not they're not as strong as they were at the start of the season. And I mean, I don't know whether they'll whether they'll take this game particularly seriously or not. I mean, given that I've had I got notification through from from the club that my seat wasn't available for for that game. It sounds like we've given them the whole of the northern end again. So they're going to have best part of 5,000 there. So you would assume that given that away following, they might take it seriously. But you can never really tell championship clubs often, particularly those in, in sort of mid-table who have either got worries looking slightly below them or sli- or they're looking slightly above to see if they can get in the playoffs. A lot of them will, will quite often just put out a, a sort of semi-first first team uh, for these sort of games, and and invariably when they do that, they'll get they'll get battered, because while Premier League sides can can sometimes get away with putting out a second string team against against lower league opposition, I don't think you can get away with doing it against teams from a division above. So yeah, I mean, I, I think I think we'll take it reasonably seriously. I mean, there'll be there'll be changes. I would I would expect five or six changes, but given the depth that we've now got, I wouldn't expect that to necessarily weaken us too much. Dan, are you just pleased that it's a home tie? Yeah, without doubt. <laughs> without doubt. I'd be, uh, still recovering from the trip to Wales. So, <laughs> But we're going to be well well rested going into this. So do you, do you think it'd be a, a, a strong side that he puts out? I think that you look at the players that are sat on the bench and I think there's an argument to, to be had that you know some of them probably feel as though they should be starting. So I think regardless of what Ralph does, it will be a strong team. You know, let's say take Diallo for example. Diallo probably feels as though he should be in the start Premier League starting eleven. So if he plays, you know, that's you know a, a good player that should be a level up from from Coventry. And you could say that for for players all across the pitch. And you, I, I'd like to see Ralph play a few more youngsters. To be honest, he didn't really do that at Swansea, and I'd like to see him give give a couple a go. But then, you know, if he does that and they lose, then he gets kind of slaughtered for for throwing away a cup tie. So I always find what managers do in, in the FA Cup and Carabao Cup. It's always difficult, isn't it? They're damned if they do, damned if they don't. But I, I think it's a game that Southampton could 
could and should win without kind of coming out of third gear, to be honest. I think the golf in a mid-table Premier League team and a mid-table championship team is just huge. It, it, it's massive. I think there's, I just can't envision, envisage a way that Coventry managed to win that game, which will probably be painful to hear for, for Tom Leach of Hampshire life fame. Um, who, who keeps on telling me commentary? commentary uh, fan. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, oh yeah. I mean, I, I don't think I've just outed him. I think that that's out there anyway. <laughs> he, he keeps on assuring me that Coventry are you know the same size as Southampton. So, I mean, it's the, same size pitch. <laughs> well, I don't know what the regulations are in the championships. <laughs> Maybe. And Glenn, happy memories of that Sunday afternoon back in April, was it 2012? And uh, everyone on the pitch after the game. We had some great results against Coventry. Yeah. Um... When they were at Highfield Road, it was always a ground I enjoyed going to as well. You sat in the corner, got pelted with coins. It was great. Um, (laughs) Good old days. Yeah, Yeah, good old days, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't know a great deal about them. Did they come up from League One last year? Or was it the year before? Year before, they they won the league on points per game, I think. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But... um, I don't think they'll... Personally, I don't think they'll take the game particularly seriously because they will be... They will be looking at a shot of the golden goose of uh, getting into the playoffs because they're, you know, they're only sort of like a couple of places below that. So it it wouldn't surprise me if they um, if they leave out a couple. I note, and I've only looked this up. This is not something I know that their their top goal scorer this year is is out. He's just had an appendix operation. So whether he's going to be back, um, whether they play him anyway, you know, I, I, it will be interesting to see how they approach the game. But uh, but yeah, Coventry were. We're a team in the sort of 80s and 90s, very much like ourselves, in that they they hung around the Premier League and everyone thought they'd go down, but they they stayed up for mm. best part of 30 years or whatever, and then went down and like ourselves kept going. Um, and you know they've had all the problems with their with their ground and having to play in another town and all that sort of stuff. But they they seem to be uh, on the upward curve now. We've got uh, Mark Robbins of Manchester United fame. As their manager, so uh, yeah, fair fair play to them. They're a, they're a team I've never had a, never had anything against, apart from Dion Dublin, who always <laughs> scored against us, always <laughs> every single time. That's before he started doing house programs. Homes um, under the hammer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, I'll be Stare, interested. Stairs up to the bedroom and stairs to our up, top corner. Stairs up to the bedroom. He's involved in Cambridge United now, so he's he's nothing to do with Coventry. But uh, I'll be interested to see. I assume Thierry Small's going to play. So it'll be interesting to see him as long as he's because uh, he would have played that you know I think Ralph said he would have played the last game against Swansea mm. if um, but he had COVID. Dinel Samayu might come in and you know obviously the likes of Jack Stevens, Jan Valery, I, I imagine they're going to play as well. So uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see uh, what we put out. Adam Armstrong will probably play, but uh, as I I agree with Dan, we well, and, and with what Steve said about our depth, I think we, you know we should have too much for them, and it would take a it would have to be a bit of a shocker. But then, you know, we nearly come unstuck in the last round with the early red cards. So, yeah. uh, so yeah. you never know. You can never take it for granted. Let's do some score predictions. This is going to be worse than ever because we don't know what team we're going to put out. We don't know much about the opposition. So proper finger in the air stuff. Do you want to go first, Glenn? 3-1. 3-1. Okay, there we go. I'm making a note of these. Steve? Fairly drab drab and comfortable 2-0. Yeah, I think we'll take that. Dan, what do you reckon? 4-0. <laughs> to Coventry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah right a um, couple of questions in the comments that I just wanted to get to as well um, Mike and I think Dan also noticed this on Twitter yesterday it's interesting people spotting the, the 60th minute break which we've spoken about and it happens the best one about this yesterday was that Prowsey was orchestrating it 
You, I was looking at the clock and it was 60 minutes and you can, Stuart Armstrong, you can see Crouchy, like waving around to players like here we go lads it's going to happen and then so, Stuart just went down like somebody just, get just went down walked off the pitch not a problem and I, I now I but just the, find the it funny thing is, things you, you'd ordinarily when Stuart Armstrong hits the deck you, you're kind of worried because like, right, he's going yeah, yeah, to be out for another six weeks it's like yeah. for God's sake yeah it was just it was just the when the referee turned and just like waved to the men, you just, you just can't help but laugh because you see it. Once you see it, you can no longer unsee it. You just see it every match. <laughs> yeah. And as soon as the trainer came on, all the rest of the players were over with Ralph. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Having a yeah. chat. Getting the adrenaline shots or whatever it is. Um, Charlie's been watching on Facebook tonight and Charlie says, one for Dan, do you foresee any incomings or outgoings in the January transfer window? I know we've, we talked about this last week to a certain extent. Do you think anything's going to change before, before next weekend? I don't know. It's always so difficult to say. I don't want to say yes and I don't really want to say no. I'm going to sit on the fence and get some splinters. Um, I'd be surprised if anyone left simply because of COVID and the need to have players in the squad just in case you know it wasn't too long ago where Southampton didn't have a, a right back so mm. they're not going to want to be in a situation where they're searching for, for players to, to fill a gap if they need to in terms of incomings for me I I don't think they need to there's you you could argue they could have another number 10 who is a lot more effective than the ones they have but that I mean are there any available in January I'd Probably not. And if there are, other clubs would be looking at them as well. So how difficult would it be to get that deal done? I, I'd be quite content just to see them go with this squad until the end of the season, to be honest, unless there's something that they can get done that is of huge benefit, you know, like another number 10 Tino, Livermento type player. If they can get that done, then by all means go and do it. But I'd be surprised if they were to sign someone who's ready for the first team straight away. Does that work for you, Steve? You'd be happy with that? Yeah, I, I think, I mean, as we've discussed before, there's very... Yeah. It's very difficult to get any sort of reasonable value in um, in January, especially when there are when there are obvious clubs who have got very obvious holes in their squad and also very obviously deep pockets. Clearly, and, and they're still and they're still relying on John Joe Shelby to bail them out of a. Yeah, I mean Newcastle. Yeah, the I mean their squad is terrible, isn't it? And yet they're the problem. They problem they're going to find is that every single price add a add a zero on the end of it. Um, a week and... in Saudi Arabia will change everything. Oh, definitely, yeah. Um, <laughs> well, they'll, they'll, they're gone well, over they'll, there. They'll, well, they'll probably come back without Kieran Clark, so they'll immediately improve their cent- the centre of defence. But yeah, there's, it, you're, you're going to struggle to find good value in January. Clubs don't want to let players go unless they're of no use to them. Hmm. And, in, and in which case, why? I mean, unless we're picking somebody off the scrappy, but one of the top clubs, and I don't think even they're going to be wanting... I mean, they've, they've got enough money that they can just say, no, we'll keep you to the summer and we'll make a decision then just on the off chance that they have a big COVID outbreak because it sounds like the rules are going to change mm. fairly soon because the Premier League have no backbone. And so, yeah, you, you're not going to get somebody sort of a waif and stray from uh, Man United or, or City or Liverpool because they've got so many games coming up they're not going to want to they're not going to want to risk two or three players getting injured and all of a sudden they've got um they've got a, a whole a massive hole in their squad mm-hmm. so yeah i think wait it out until until the summer i would imagine we've probably got a few deals kind of in the pipeline already ready to go probably july the 1st as soon as the financial year ticks over push everything into the next financial year and and then we and then we're theoretically good to go just ahead of um, pre-season starting up again. 
Is that the same for you, Glenn, waiting until the summer? I would have thought so, yeah, unless there's something that no one's thought about. I mean, just to back up Steve's point, last year we signed Minamino, didn't we? Now Liverpool aren't going to let him go. No, not that we'd want him again, I hasten to add. But Liverpool aren't going to let him go this season because of the situation. You know, they don't know. Salah and Mane, they've still not come back from the AFCON. They might get injured. They, you know, they don't know what they're going to get back from that tournament. So they're not going to loan out one of their squad players. I don't really see that we are particularly weak in any area in, in terms of the squad. I think the summer will be very interested. We've got some sort of fringe players who are sort of near the end of their contract-ish. Like, you know, Elianusi, we've mm. got a couple that are on fairly big money, which I'm sure we'd like to get out the door. No names, Walcott. But uh, so I think it'll be interesting to see what happens in the summer. But I, I personally don't see a great deal happening in the um, in the, you know the next couple of weeks. I don't. I don't. I mean, I guess that with uh, with uh, Mr. Rasmus now coming in, he he may have some ideas of players that he was following when he was at Brentford. So there, I guess there may be the outside chance because there's, you know, because there's, there's fresh input into the, into the discussions, but I'd be surprised to be honest. Mm. It, you know, that something's going well when we're all in agreement that we don't need to bring anybody in, in January. So I, Wait I think the second just... week of February and then there's like a, you know, <laughs> yeah. everyone's out injured. Why didn't they sign anyone? What if, <laughs> if, we'd, if we'd lost 4-0 yesterday, we might be saying something different. We'd all be saying something different. Yeah. 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 Um, final question from Joe. I'm going to chat this at you, Dan. Just about Carl Walker Peters coming in yesterday, and does that send a message to Ralph about the right back berth and Livramento? It's going to be another headache, I guess, when, when Livramento comes back. But is, that, is it just a good problem to have, or or do you think Carl Walker Peters has got an opportunity there to to stake a claim to get that back? No, I think Ralph would rather that headache than yeah. the headache he probably had last season trying to work out who he could play mm. if if Walker Peters was injured. To be honest, I've always felt Walker Peters had had done nothing wrong whatsoever I, I I I didn't ever think he deserved to be dropped and when Tino came in you could see why Ralph wanted to play him from the start but I still felt that Kyle was just an unfortunate victim of those circumstances Kyle's a top top quality player in in my opinion he you know the goal Steve mentioned at the very start of this podcast I think many agree that Edison's one of the best goalkeepers in the world and for a player that's not scored in 68 games to do that you know, to have the composure and the quality. And his, his defensive work is excellent as well. He's just a, an all-round top player. And I think Ralph knows that because the, the left-back they signed in the summer can't get in the team when Tino's fit. And that's because he just has to shoehorn Kyle into the starting 11 one way or, or another. So I, I would personally like to see him stay at right-back. I think Southampton, have, have you know, they, and they deserve credit for this. They're in a position now where they don't need to rush Tino back. You know, we still don't quite know the full extent of Tino's injury. So why take a risk? You know, you've got Kyle... He is a Premier League standard right back. You don't need to force t- rush Tino back too soon and make anything worse. Or you know, he can take as much time as he needs, as far as I'm concerned. And that you know, the club's recruitment department deserve credit for for getting that because you know Rav wanted squad depth. They've given that to him, and now he's got the luxury that he's got a, a top quality teenager. You know, who he doesn't have to rush back, and he can trust Kyle to do the job. Brilliant. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, Glenn. Um, International break next weekend. So uh, enjoy the rest. And then we shall reconvene after the FA Cup game. And before we go, a big shout out to our loyal and much loved patrons in our Matt Letizia tier. We've got Colt Baker, Dave Ernsberger, Ed Busy and Phil Cook. In our Francis Benali tier, there's Nick Reed and Matt Hall. You can find out more about becoming a TSP patron and all the benefits that come with that on the website. Don't forget to follow this podcast wherever you're listening and on the socials. Always great to hear from you during the week. It's at Total Saints Pod. You'll find us on Twitter 
Twitter and Facebook. You can always get in touch via the website as well. Thank you for listening this week. Stay safe and we'll see you in two weeks. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.